Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to The Connection, a weekly radio program where we share our experiences and expertise with stories of caring, courage, and change right here in Connecticut. Listen to learn about needed resources to improve your well-being and transform your life. Now, here are the hosts of The Connection, Lisa DeMattis-Lapore and Ann Baldwin. Welcome back to another edition of The Connection right here on WTIC News Talk 1080. It's so great to have you along on this Sunday morning. I'm one of the hosts of this program, Ann Baldwin. And I'm Lisa DeMattis-Lapore. Yes, and it is... Uh, a nice Sunday, and we've always got interesting things to talk about. You know, it's kind of been a weird winter, right? It hasn't been that cold, but a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Then we had the 70-degree um, weekend as a tease. That yeah, was fun. That was fun. That was that was way back when. But winter's far from over. But, you know, one of the things that whether the weather's nice or whether it's freezing out, homelessness is a real issue here in Connecticut. And there Absolutely. was a lot of news um, recently about every year there is a count of homelessness um, in the state of Connecticut. And I know that the connection was involved of that in that when it came to adult homelessness. You guys were involved. Correct. Can you talk a little bit about what your involvement was? Every every year, um, my staff of the connection get, in, get involved in the um, homeless count in Connecticut. And they are out on the streets and going to areas in Connecticut and seeing who's who's homeless and trying to talk to people to, you know, get into a shelter and get them help. And they take the, you know, count with other folks. And we're always, uh, it's, a st it's stunning what the number is because it continues to grow. It's a segue into introducing uh, one of our staff, John Lawler, who's the Director of Homeless Youth and Young Adult Programs at The Connection. John is um, well known. Welcome to the show and thank you so much for your tireless work and your staff and um, the work for our homeless youth. So tell us a little bit about um, what's happening in Connecticut with our homeless youth and the count. So right now is a pretty exciting time for uh, homeless youth in, in, in Connecticut because we're doing the annual um, homeless youth count, which is very similar to that homeless point in time count, but yeah. we use a very different methodology because young people experience homelessness much differently than their older counterparts. Um, and so this count is filled with uh, a couple hundred volunteers. Uh, it lasts for about a week, and we just go to locations, schools, um, hotspots, places where we think we'd find individuals who are age 24 and under. Um, and, and through an app, have them take a survey to really ask them a range of questions around their experiences um, around housing, their housing stability, some of their demographics, and um, and their experiences if it appears that they're either homeless or, or unstably housed. Um, and so we've helped uh, coordinate this in, in a couple of the regions of the state um, since about 2011. Um, so we're really on going on year nine now and getting better with each time. Um, and, and the outcomes, it really does sh uh, put an impressive magnifying glass on, on the true scope of the problem of youth and young adult homelessness in Connecticut with the last year's uh, youth count showing a projection of uh, 
over 9,000 unstably housed or, or homeless wow. young people aged 24 and wow. under. In Connecticut. That's In huge. Connecticut. So, John, let me ask you this. So, I hear a lot about kids who are like couch surfing <laughs> or they'll go from one person's house to another. Is that considered homelessness? Uh, that's a great question. And that's part of the reason that we have a different uh, point in time count for these homeless young people than we do the, the, those older adults. Um, so in the with the older adult population, you really associate homelessness with that traditional kind of like what I call the Hollywood version of homelessness. They're they're out in the streets, they're out on a park bench, maybe right. sleeping in a car, abandoned building. Sleeping in the woods, right? Yes, absolutely. Um, with young people, that's probably the single most rare form of, of homelessness, particularly in an environment with Connecticut. It's it's a cold weather environment. Um, we don't have a huge metropolis like uh, New York City or Chicago where you're going to get a lot of people to band together to make that survivable. Um, and so what we do see in this population is very large amounts of uh, the, that couch surfing that you referred to. And it's kind of a broad generalized term um, for someone who might just be going from uh, a friend's apartment to family's apartment um, to other friend's apartment in other instances for uh, uh, more riskier environments, uh, apartments, etc. Um, and, and the experience on the youth's end is that um, probably similar to someone who struggled with a, a drug addiction, they are constantly having to solve the problem of where they're going to find a place to sleep tonight. Uh, um, so that's a very large part of their uh, of their day is trying to sort out where can they sleep. Now, what we do see is that they will occasionally um, be, go what we call street homelessness or that literal homelessness, um, which is the more commonly accepted one and, and the one that by uh, the federal uh, housing and urban development defines homelessness. Um, and so that's the park bench that's in the car that's uh, in the abandoned building. Um, but that is very much so a rarity, and they're not out there for days or weeks at a time, like is what, as we tend to see with the older population. Um, the, the odd part is that we know it, the longer they stay in this pattern, they will age into that group that does learn how to do that, that does learn how to survive, survive the Connecticut winter, sleeping outside, and primarily meeting that traditional homeless. So, John, can you let us know um, and our listeners, when you get those numbers, what happens to them? Where do they go? Oh, well, we, first thing that we do through the Connecticut uh, Coalition and Homelessness, they publish a pretty um, substantial report about it each year. Um, and that re report is used very heavily towards advocacy, both on the state and the federal levels, to try to get some services, some service dollars um, in so that way Connecticut is better prepared to be able to handle this growing population that it, that it has. Overall, homeless numbers uh, are, have been down over the years, but we continue to see this young adult population number going up. You know, I'm going to ask a question that I probably know the answer to, but so you said approximately 9,000 homeless youth, you know, depending on what the, the new count is here in Connecticut. So if you could bring all those people into one spot, would you have a place for 9,000 young people to go and end youth homelessness in Connecticut? Not oh. even close. Not even oh. close. I knew um, the answer. <laughs> Yes, unfortunately, uh, now the resources are, are too slim um, now, and that's even with our state being able to get an influx of federal money. Which they have. So what does, what is a solution? What kind of solutions are you looking at to help the problem? I mean, I think what we find, we, we really try to involve young people in that process. Um, I think the traditional method of, of handling homelessness was to put someone in a shelter and if the, they'd eventually get some type of permanent housing voucher, that kind of things. But those days are long gone and it doesn't necessarily seem to be what young people necessarily need. Um, so the first step is that we try to identify that we try to create me mechanisms for outreach um, so that way they know where to go uh, if they're experiencing some type of housing instability. 
um, and, and you know, as we get 9,000 of those, it really comes down to triaging. Who needs what? A lot of young people um, can be serviced with just some connections back to caring adult family members, a grandmother, a great mother, an aunt, a great grandmother, an aunt, etc., um, and some family mediation piece. A, a lot of this is driven by just a disconnect from the family, some mm. type of family. Breakup. It might be temporary. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And the risk of it um, being so temporary is that if it's if they're not kind of able to get connected to some type of stable housing situation um, they can experience significant amounts of, of trauma the the right. life that you have to go through the problem solving uh, can lead you to some really dark places while you don't have a place to to live really quick story um, one of my uh, really good friends she probably takes everyone and everyone's lived in her house it's just who she is you know she's amazing uh, there's always somebody there always has been someone there and um, there was this you know one boy that was constantly there good good very good friend of her son um, except, you know, always there, his clothes were there. I mean, her son, you know, she never even know whose clothes were. That's seriously, because she's, she's good that way. However, uh, there was an incident where uh, he didn't want to go back home, and the father showed up, and the kid was crying and admitted, he's a teenager, that he was getting physically abused by dad who was drinking. They live in an upscale neighborhood in Connecticut, so you would never think this. And my friend called the police. Um, mom showed up and was really pissed off. You know, why did you do that? And the reality is that this, if this, this is, was a big kid, you know, played sports and he's like huddled in the corner. And my friend never knew that that's the reason why. And so a uh, long story short, he, he's, he's living with, uh, he's living with a family member, you know, he's doing well, he's not angry. I mean, in some ways I feel like she almost saved his life, but I think the issue, and, and that happens a lot. A lot of my friends, I have people staying, <laughs> their kids are staying at their house. Um, but it is a real huge problem. Um, and, and again, it could be for, you know, unstable things going in the home, could be alcohol and, and drug abuse. It could be, you know, other things. Um, mm -hmm. You I, never know what's going on. It could on. be a youth's identity, you know, right. struggling with their own identity. Right. Parents don't accept that. Right, John, you've seen that. There's uh, just a variety of different reasons. So, John, that Lisa brings up a good point. And it's a little bit off topic, but, um, and I know my kids are out of the house now, but I was also the place where I have plenty of couches and there were usually kids on my couch. Should we look at that as, um, should we welcome those kids into our homes on a temporary basis? Is that the right thing to do? Or do you, do you advise against it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's uh, so much of a better, safer art alternative than what they're going to have access to more often than not. Um, there's certainly not enough shelter space uh, in our state for for the young people that are out there who are experiencing that mm -hmm. that housing instability. Um, and there are just so many out there who would look to exploit their particular um, position, their situation towards their advantage. Um, and that doesn't mean that people have to take these kids in forever, uh, but it does make a huge difference in helping them um, kind of get their sorts together, start to assess some, what some of their options, what some of their resources are, and come to places like, uh, like us at uh, The Connection. Um, and of course, the 211 uh, homeless response system, uh, just to be able to help them sort out what some of their options are and get them connected to something more permanent. And healthy, healthier um, choices. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's the right thing, thing to do. One of the things that I was reading about is that there's also a growing problem with college homelessness, kids in college who are homeless. Okay, that doesn't make sense to me. If you're in college, how can you be homeless? 
Yeah, and it's uh, it, it's gotten a little bit more attention both locally and nationally, maybe over the past couple of years, and we've seen it um, growing steadily on the ground. It's overwhelmingly related to community colleges, um, and in some communities, it's uh, you know it's upwards of like 38, 40 percent of uh, youth who are enrolled in there who are struggling with with where they're going to stay. Um, and, and they struggle in particularly in meeting that very strict federal definition of staying outside. We don't run across many college students that meet that definition. That's an important definition in order to access resources like shelter and like federally subsidized house, uh, housing um, because you need to be able to, to meet that particular definition in order to just be eligible. They tend to not be. They're doing a lot more of the couch surfing, so they have to figure out where they're going to A, eat every night, B, sleep every night, and somehow figure out how they're going to get their trigonometry uh, homework done as well um, and do this for a period of, of up to two years and there's not a lot of dedicated um, support out there not a lot of resources dedicated to that particular population and these kids are bright I mean they're, they're doing yeah well. and they're caught in the middle right exactly. it sucks to be in the middle it's like any other program you know you're either better off not having a pot to cook in um, yep. or being at the top of the heat because it's it's those you know the folks right, in the right, middle right. that I never even thought about that because you're not staying in a dorm situation at a community college. You're probably commuting. Um, so, wow, that's amazing. Yeah, it's something that the community colleges have been bringing up more and more that they're seeing it, uh, the problem increase over the years. And then they're at a loss because they don't necessarily, again, community colleges isn't going to have housing built in. That's like, right. Like a Yukon or, or exactly. Yale, et cetera. Um, so it's much, much trickier uh, for them, and they're not necessarily built to be able to, to, to help the, these individuals in that particular way. Mm -hmm. These are kids who probably fall asleep in the resource center or corner of a who knows where. Wow. It, it's, just, it's, it's just amazing. Um, do you think that Connecticut is at, our numbers aren't as high because of our climate here because it just doesn't conducive to someone sleeping outside all the time? Yeah, I think it's uh, part of it is, is might be just general population size compared to Los Angeles, but the climate is a huge, huge yeah, piece of huge. it, is that it, it influences the homeless pattern. You, you just can't stay outside for too long um, when you're young and you have no survival skills living outside in, in, in a January or February climate in mm -hmm. Connecticut. And don't some of these people migrate? So they'll go to one state where the climate, you know, is, and then during the winter months, they'll migrate to another you know, place where it's warm, you just keep kind of, you're a transient. And at what point are you considered part of Connecticut statistics? And when do you qualify in another state if you're moving around? Well, we've seen that occur too with youth coming from out of state because they became homeless in that state. And then they're coming here because they have an aunt or a grandmother. Ah, okay. um, but it's a very loosely put together plan. There's no supports in there to help um, kind of make that match work. And so they end up becoming homeless here in, in Connecticut. I was really sh um taken aback when I was in Chicago a couple of years ago with my friend and it was during the summer and the youth homelessness it was I couldn't believe it it was everywhere mm -hmm. it was stunning I saw that in Colorado too when I was out there yeah. um you know and, and my editorial comment I think a lot of that has to do with the legalization of marijuana um because people are now holding signs that they need money for pot as opposed to food um it was just it was it was 
tragic. It was absolutely, yeah, it's, tragic. it's horrible. It's, it's horrible for anybody. Um, and then you see them walking around with their one bag of possessions or it's just, yeah, um, exactly. and, and there's a lot more to this sometimes, right? And you know, this, it might be mental health issues. It could be substance abuse issues. I mean, it's a variety of like everything that we talk about on the show, everybody's got their different things that need to be dealt with. So that's why with an organization like The Connection, you're dealing with different layers of issues that may have led to this problem and looking for the solutions to those. No, absolutely. It's, it's definitely circumstances where both the chicken and the egg came first. A lot of people ask, oh, is it, did they become homeless because of sub-drug abuse problems? And I say, yes. Or they'll say, did they become homeless first and then get drug abuse problems? And also, yes, it's it's kind of a wide range with really that, that breakdown of the family um, a component being the, the core. Uh, is there, a, um, John, some type of projection that um, Connecticut's uh, looking at for this, the most recent um, count that'll be occurring? Do they have a sense of if it was 9,000, not that we want it to go up, but are, do you see these specific increments going up year by year by a specific amount like five percent or three percent or it was a big jump um from the last years well two years ago to um the when we did it in 2019 it was a jump of about four thousand a lot of that had to do with uh, a lot of work in terms of getting into more places to survey more young people and the app and the and, app yeah and, yeah, and, and the, the app, app and some yeah. of the methodology for calculating i think we'll probably come out a little a bit above um nine thousand again It'll probably between nine thousand ten thousand um because it tends to grow when we have just different methods of thinking and finding young people and for that we need to recruit more youth who are experiencing this housing instability mm -hmm. to figure out how do we even find you have you seen john in your work uh, with youth at at the connection siblings together that are homeless we have yes I and mean, we see that um pretty common i'd say most commonly coming out of the foster care system um so a lot of youth who are uh, siblings end up in care together um and can't necessarily achieve uh, what dcf would call permanency they don't have a, a permanent place to stay or or they think they do and it just doesn't pan out after they've aged out of uh, the state eligibility um, so we'll see a fair share of siblings come through and that uh, through that pathway um, and, and the easy fix would appear to just be, okay, we can help them get an apartment together. But there's, uh, these are young people who went through extensive familial trauma uh, exactly. in their backgrounds. Right. It might, it's not always the, the most appropriate thing to put them yeah. back in the same right. household together. If you're just tuning in, we're speaking with John Lawler. He's the director of the Homeless Youth and Young Adult Programs at The Connection. And if you'd like more information on these programs or you know someone who's looking for resources, you can go to the website at theconnectioninc.com. Dot org. 211 is also the number that you can access um, services on a number of programs through the state of Connecticut as well. So you've dealt with this for a long time at The Connection. You deal with this on a daily basis. I want you to tell our listeners, what do they need to know? What's the biggest challenge? What's the biggest hurdle? What do we need to see happen here in Connecticut? What would make all of our lives better and help solve what's a huge problem? Yeah, I think a lot of that comes down to what the each individual community uh, member can do as well. I think you brought up the topic before about the idea of being able to take someone in, um, you know, in a spare bedroom, a couch or whatnot, when they know of a young person um, who is experiencing this type of housing instability. That right there is huge. Um, that really just having a, the, a safe place for them to stay. Um, makes a world of difference. It kind of buys them time and it gets them out of some of those risky uh, situations. 
Um, I, I think other aspects that we struggle with, um, uh, boots on the ground, is um, finding employment for these young people. Mm. We're talking about you know, 17, 18, 19-year-olds who have um, virtually no employment experience trying to get their first job. Um, and, and so just uh, f for those who are uh, hiring managers, et cetera, to be able to take a shot at someone at that age range. they got to start somewhere. Absolutely. No, it, it, and it's one of those things. We can give them all the classes in the world, all mm -hmm. the kind of life skills in the world um, and, and uh, you know, professional skills um, as a program. Um, but until they actually get in the environment and start working, um, it, it's not going to do much. That's really how we all learn. Certainly, I'm a much different uh, employee um, now than I was at 18, year old, 18 years old, which is why I still work at The Connection. Um, <laughs> so it really is a community-based problem uh, in all of our communities. It's there, right? Whether we see it or not, it's a reality. You can't bury your head in the sand. That is there. But I'll also throw out a bit of caution, too, is you also have to kind of know what you're dealing with, right? When you invite someone into your home to sleep on your couch, that also means if you have other children in the house, you got to I feel you got to know who this kid is. You got to know what their intentions are. You got to know if they have any, you know, substance abuse problems. You also don't want to put your own family and your own children, if you've got them in the house at risk. So there's all these different variables that you have to think about. And if that doesn't work, then maybe what you do is you proactively help this person find the resources to get them where they need. Because I know, John, we, we met and we talked when we went to an apartment. Um, in one community where you had um, put housing together for, I think, three different individuals, three youth. Now, we're not talking little kids. No. When we say youth, you know, you got to keep that in perspective, who all lived in this apartment, which was cool. Like, man, if that was my first apartment, I would have been excited about it. And they all come and go and they go to their jobs and they right. take public transportation. And, you know, I wonder where are they now? Oh, yeah, and, and uh, they're long gone from us by now and probably doing very well. Good. We have very high rates of, of employment in our program. It's, uh, I tell you, you get a young person a job, and so many other things fall in line. They start to get the, the income going. They start to be able to afford to live independently, um, and, and they can also um, just start to manage some of those relationships. And, and professional environment is a great place to learn how to manage relationships. So many of these young people came from um, very difficult family relationships uh, that don't translate well into the, the the professional world, the real world. Um, so at the connection, the apartment that you were at was actually an example of what we did as a shelter. Um, a very different type of shelter uh, by most standards. It's not this big building when it's 20 cots, etc. It was like an apartment in an apartment complex. Yeah, so we as an agency um, took on a lot of risk, but we rented out a bunch of apartments uh, throughout these communities and we utilize those as, as a type of shelter. And we provide a lot of intensive case management services and really look to try to reconnect them to family, connect them to other resources. Um, with the overall goal is that when you walk out of our doors, you're you're in a spot and you're safe and you're going to be there for a while um, and, and hopefully contributing to that household. Isn't that wonderful? It is. It is. I mean, and, you know, it, it's life skills, I'm sure, that they've never maybe been exposed to, you know, and that peer-to-peer -peer support, you know, help each other out hold each other accountable, cheer each other on. And individualized, you know, programming, um, the program at The Connection really meets each youth where they are and works with their own unique um, individual um, circumstances to give them and help them with the tools they need to become independent and self-sufficient and move forward. So, John, we just have a little bit of time left. What do you want our people, our listeners to know? What do you want the people maybe who I call sitting in at the big house what do you want them to know i mean what's your what's your goal what's your objective what do you are you hopeful 
I, I am hopeful. I think the the takeaways I'd really like to see here is understanding the the gravity and the scope of the problem. It's not clearly visible, but you absolutely are maybe two degrees two degrees of separation away from someone who's experiencing this. Um, and, and certainly, if if they come across someone who's in that circumstance, the best thing that they can do to to, to do is to call two one one because that's what puts them on our homeless system radar. If we don't know where they are, we can't get out there and help them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so, those are probably two of the bigger takeaways um, that can at least start to help this person sort out what some of their options are, what they're eligible for, what they're not eligible for, and if we can start to repair some of those relationships that broke down a, a few weeks ago, a couple of days ago, or many months ago. You know, and even for the adult. I know there were times where I frankly was just a paycheck away from losing it all. You know, it doesn't take much. It can take losing, you know, maybe one person's income out of a double income household, exactly. you know, or a medical situation that's, you know, overbearing or now even medications that someone might need. So it's not that far off for a lot of us. Uh, so to judge somebody who might be in that situation it really isn't fair. So let's do what we can do to help these individuals and, and, you know, try to bring those numbers down. And, you know, it'll never totally go away. But if you can keep declining, you're on the right track, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, John Lawler, thanks for being back in the Thank studio. Thank you, John. Thank you so, so much and for he's, me. You're one of the few men that I know that can wear a pink shirt with confidence. <laughs> Looks very nice. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Uh, Lisa, this was a great show. Hopefully we've, um, you know, shed a new light on what really is a huge problem. And that's not only adult, but youth homelessness here in our state. So thanks to all of you for tuning in today as we shed hopefully some light on this, um, on this subject. And uh, it's always good to have you here, right here on The Connection on WTIC News Talk 1080. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.